I've actually started making an episode once, and then I was like, oh my God, I already made this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. No, my voice cracked in the middle of that. It's like, Jeremy Scott! <laughs> Jeremy Scott! Um, also joining us is Barrett Cher, as always, music video sins guru. Yeah, hello. And uh, we have a very special guest with us today. Woo! His name Woo! is Andrew Ray. You may know him as Binging with Babish, or just Babish. Yay! Yay! Yay. And the reason why, <laughs> the reason uh, sort of why he's on is because we share a multi-channel network uh, right here in Nashville, Made in Network. What the fuck, dude? Come on, shut up. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That was on the, yeah, yeah, I I apologize. We'll cut that out. So, yeah, we're we're really just kind of meeting each other right now. Uh, uh, this is the first time we've gotten to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me guys. And, uh, yeah, we, we have this strange behind the scenes incestuous relationship. I'm sorry. I phrased it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. No, I totally no. agree. I totally uh, agree. We are down with incest references on this show. Believe <laughs> mm-hmm. me. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, and now What's that we, and nowadays, all the, all, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you know, now that we've met, uh, Andrew, uh, the first thing I want to say is you bastard, um, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, let me get into it, man. You make <laughs> some, you make some, uh, dishes on binging with Babish that are a, uh, impossible for someone like me who is lazy and impatient to make and B delicious as fuck there's no way <laughs> that those those food items that you make aren't like a hundred percent the best thing you've ever eaten in your life what do you have to say for yourself well first off i'd say that's why i launched basics with babish it's a cooking program for the uh, the newcomer to the kitchen i invite <laughs> you to check it out try some of our easy to follow recipes and fun i don't know I, i'm not very good at pitching some you were doing absolutely perfectly with that Fine, but i ran out of words you ever mm-hmm. happen to you just run out i um, do and uh and i will i i will contest first off thank you 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 flatter me and uh second off i will i will hotly contest that uh because a, a lot of the stuff that i make is fucking gross and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I try to be um super um uh, I try I try to be super honest when I make things and they don't come out good. Uh, two weeks ago, I made or three I don't know like a month ago, I made uh, Troy's casserole from Community, and mm-hmm. I worked my cute little ass off to try and make it taste good. Uh, I made a rainbow tomato terrine, and I made um, uh, savory cheddar donuts, and I made uh, uh, cheese crisps and and all, all their manner of things to try to make like a good version of this hot pocket. Uh, uh, um, pizza roll. What was the other thing in there? Dorito uh, casserole. And lo and behold, I couldn't do it. And um, mm-hmm. it's, so, so I mean, I, I appreciate that, but there, there are definitely, 
there are as many failures on the show as there are successes. And I try to show that because I think that that makes it a little bit more accessible. Like if this, if this doofus can do it, surely I can give it a try. <laughs> well, I have seen, I have seen a couple where you're like, yeah, this isn't the best. Uh, the, the, you did something, uh, uh, with that Keenan and Kel thing. Like it was a, uh, I guess it was a remedy for, for being sick or whatever that you, <laughs> I guess, I don't know if you've seen that episode or if it was somebody pitched I, that to you or no, whatever. No, I, I had seen it. I had it recorded upon VHS when I was a child because I, I would, I would record things and watch them until the tape broke. Like that was my, nice. thing. I'm a, I, I, mm-hmm. I rewatched things the way most people listen to music. I just over and over again. Um, and, uh, I was obsessed with Keenan and Kel back in the day. So I remembered that episode immediately when I was like, what the, he- I'm sick. What do I do this week? Cause I actually had COVID. Um, Oh, oh wow. Oh no. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm, I'm happy I did. I got the antibodies now. I can do whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, what, I, first off I have no energy and I can't smell or taste anything because that's one of the fun side effects of COVID is that it robs you of those two of your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and not in the way, you know how normally we get the flu, you can't breathe through your nose. So you're like, you can't taste anything for a few days. I could breathe clearly through my nose. And I was burying my nose in a can of anchovies or um, uh, sardines, rather, and I couldn't smell anything. Wow. Oh, so shit. wow. And then to not also not be able to taste. And also, I feel like my sense of taste is still a little wonky. Chocolate. I have to focus on chocolate to actually taste it. Would you believe that? Oh, interesting. Wow. Weird. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I'm getting off track. But uh, 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 that's a smoothie. Yeah, I made because not only did I want to cure myself, but also as soon as I thought of cold cures from pop culture, the first thing I remembered was this thing I'd seen over and over and over again when I was a kid. And yeah. apparently it worked. <laughs> yeah, totally. Here you are today. <laughs> I can't recommend that you try it at home. Yeah, it, it reminds me. It reminds me of a Beverly Hillbillies episode, believe it or not, where like uh, the Granny Clampett thought that she had, well, was claiming that she had a cure for the common cold. And the bankers all got like really excited about this, like even more money. Oh my God, we're they're already super rich, so this is going to be even more amazing and everything. And and um and it's this awful, awful, awful tasting liquid. And it's like, well, you know, as long as it's not just the same, uh, you know, the same uh, uh, advice you always get, which is drink a lot of water, have a lot of rest, blah 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 blah. By the end of the episode, um. Uh, granny's like you drink this and then you do all those same things that you would o- normally do with a cold cure a cold quote unquote a quote unquote cold cure and it's not really a cure at all it's just doing the same thing that you would normally do drinking this awful liquid and that's our <laughs> beverly hillsbillies moment for the day <laughs> okay so i want to talk briefly uh with andrew about the ramdon because my wife and I followed your Ramdan video to make this dish, and we have now made it 14 times. Um, it's become a staple. We love it. And I, I'm curious, A, if there's anything you've ever made that was for a video that you like so much to become a regular thing that you make for yourself. And B, do you ever, um, like revisit in your mind recipes and think of ways that you might have tweaked them. And I, I, I only to say I have started adding a soft boiled egg to my Ramdan and I can't go back now. 
And <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to share that that video has changed my life and uh, I'm very thankful for it. That's very nice. And soft boiled egg and Ramdan, that's a pro tip, ladies and gentlemen. Hang on to that. That's money <laughs> in the bank. There you uh, go. Do you, you want to know the actual truth is that when you ask me questions about past videos, uh, I instinctually, uh, instinctively, um, I opened up my, my list of episodes so I can be like, uh, shit. Um, which one? <laughs> because I have a horrendous memory. And sometimes I will, I've actually started making an episode once. And then I was like, Oh my God, I already made this. <laughs> that's oh, funny no. because we actually were going to do at one point in this podcast a segment of uh quizzing jeremy of which movies we've sinned or not and to see if he could actually <laughs> yeah my right. memory's pretty bad too <clears throat> <laughs> well i'd be i'd be in real trouble if anybody ever did that to me um a lot of the episode a lot of, a lot of the dishes um that from binging I would say do not make it into my repertoire because they're overcomplicated and often don't have a very good payoff worth all the effort uh, because, you know, they're featuring things from pop culture that are crazy or silly. Um, and, and, uh, you know, pe people seem to enjoy when I go way over the top, like nobody was asking me to make bagels from scratch when I made bagel sandwiches from, uh, um, uh, from Steven universe. Um, no. Oh, no, he, he certainly wasn't making bagels from scratch. Uh, but it was an opportunity to make bagels from scratch. So the, 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 generally things don't make it into my day to day. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that um, pasta aile olio, uh, yeah. that dish I love so much because it's so simple and I have a tattoo of it because it's, it's such an important <laughs> dish to yeah. the show. Uh, it, it's, it's given me the most experiences and the most growth, I think, um, and also has uh, inspired, I think the most home cooks to try it. I've been tagged in hundreds, if not thousands of photos on Instagram, people saying I tried cooking for the first time. This was so simple and it was so good. And it's because it's seven ingredients that come together to make something greater than some of their parts, which when mm. you're starting out in the kitchen is really empowering and really exciting. Yeah. Um, and this is the, the pasta recipe from the movie chef. Yes, right? correct. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's just, it's basically just garlic oil, red pepper flake, parsley, lemon, pasta, salt, pepper, water, uh, like, and Scarlett Johansson, and, and Scarlett <laughs> Johansson. Mm -hmm. not complete without your, 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 your Scarlett Johansson yeah. <laughs> or just whoever's in the room who can just like undress you with their eyes when they take their first bite. <laughs> <laughs> And you got uh, you got John Favreau to do a foreword in your book. Yes, uh, which I was I'm just as surprised as you are that he did that. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's been kind enough to be like kind of a Hollywood sort of mentor to me. He um, he wrote the foreword to the book. He had me come to the set of Mandalorian. Mm, uh, what? Which I don't know how much I'm. I, the, the the seasons come out now, so surely all the NDAs that I signed don't matter anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been out for a while for sure. Except for the fact that you know, like uh, somebody was an asshole, like Pedro Pascal, like totally, like you know, shunned you when you asked him questions. That's, that's the only thing. <laughs> that's the only thing. No, you there was super nice, and I was. There. He told me to come by the set. Basically, this was back in October uh, when I was on my book tour. And I was stopping in LA and he told me to come by the set uh, because I wanted to drop off a gift for him for having written my forward. I, I, had a, I had a knife and a carving fork made for him. And oh. um, uh, they're, they're, they're very lovely things uh, made by Houston Edgeworks. Shout out to Houston Edgeworks. And uh, I, I'm not very good at staying on track with stories. I'm going to try my really, my hardest <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> so 
he uh, he invited me over and he, he was like, oh, come by the set. We're shooting Mandalorian. And um, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I figured he was going to be in his office and we'd hang out. They're full on in production. The, 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 uh, Carl Weathers was there. Um, oh, uh, uh, Gina, uh, what's her name? Gina Carano oh, yeah. was there. And I had a crush on her way back. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. was startling to see her in person. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, he takes me into the the, the incredible um, uh, uh, sets that they've built. Not just the practical sets, but they have this unbelievable um uh, set extension cyclorama. I don't know how else to describe it. It's basically a gigantic screen that is 360 degrees enveloping and they can use it with a camera to extend a set and to make oh, yeah. you know, that look absolutely real. Like It's crazy. Like I didn't realize this is like starting to, I don't know if it's like full on in use, but like, uh, it's it's basically the future um, of of how they're how they're going to be doing these things now, uh, yeah, and it does I mean, look absolutely real. It it it, it looks. I, he showed me a couple of composited shots, and it it does look completely real. And I was there in October before the show came out, and he showed me. Uh, um, uh, he brought me to this cockpit that was you know up on the hydraulics doing all the crash landing stuff with the actor in it and Mandalorian sitting in him. First off, I'm freaking out like, Oh my God, the stunt double for Pedro Pascal is right there wearing the mask and everything. And he stands up and takes off his mask and it's fucking Pedro Pascal. <laughs> and then he pulls this thing out of his lap and it's fucking baby Yoda. <laughs> like, I saw this thing before anybody knew it existed and I had to keep it a secret. It was, I can't tell you how hard that was. I bet. I bet. God, you yeah. saw baby Yoda before. You could, you could have dropped amazing. some hints. You could have dropped some hints. Like, oh, you know, hell no. I'm not going to be sued by the Disney corporation. Are you serious? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if there was like, like a younger version of Yoda? Like that would be awesome. And then it just shows up later, six months later. <laughs> Whoa! Nailed it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, so um, uh, he he's he's always played this kind of like mentor kind of role where he's offered me a lot of wonderful advice about just what it means to be a storyteller. Be it you know in the capacity of John Favreau, reading reaching hundreds of millions of people and 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 uh, touching lives on a global scale, or whether you're just making a cooking show that's just fucking around with some. Some dishes from pop culture. Can I swear on this show? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. we encourage. More. We encourage. Please it, fucking actually. swear. <laughs> right, but but stuff. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, even if it's just me just fucking around on a, on a cooking show, the the importance and the gravity of telling stories and reaching people all around the world and the connections that that makes and just how magical that is. He's the one who really kind of like tried to instill that in me. It's it's crazy how kind and how um, sort of uh, a sage he's been to me uh, mm-hmm. since we, since we met and uh, just the, the, the circumstances under which we met that he just tweeted congratulations on hitting a million subscribers. And next thing I know I'm flying out to LA to, to, to go to his studio and be on chef show. Like it's just, it's nuts. Yeah. That was amazing to see you on. Uh, I know that he had, he and uh, is it Roy Choi? Yeah. Roy Choi. Uh, that had, had been on one of your episodes uh, but to see you on the the Netflix, uh, uh, you were on a couple episodes, weren't you? What's fun about that is that was all shot the same day. My show, their show. It's just that at the time, oh, really? 
he was just making the show because he wanted to make a cooking show. It didn't have a home yet. Didn't have like a like uh, it, it wasn't like a net. They weren't shooting a Netflix thing at the time. It was just his show. And then I, you know, they they uh, uh, sold it to Netflix for distribution. And it took a little while. So we shot that like two years before it came out. You'll oh, notice wow. significantly fewer tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I believe I saw this episode, but I was um, I was under the influence at the time. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was of, course, of course I was in I was in Vegas, and you know I had I had some edibles, and I watched that episode. I think it was my first introduction into Babish. Actually, was that chef episode? I'm so thrilled that that was the those are the circumstances. In, indeed, right? And uh, and then yeah, um, <laughs> edibles, uh, man. Fuck edibles, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, the uh, that was the, that's the the thing that's great about your show, though, is that like. Uh, you know, it, it, you have something that's themed for once upon a time in Hollywood and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm making the macaroni and cheese. And I was when I first saw that episode, I was like, wait a minute, who, who cares about fucking macaroni and cheese? Like, it's <laughs> uh, like, who cares? And you watch it and you make the macaroni and cheese that Brad Pitt does. And I'm like, OK, OK, he made it. That's good. That's good. He made that macaroni and cheese. And then it's like, oh. Oh, he's not done with you yet. He's going to actually make this from scratch. He's going to make the cheese from scratch. He's going to put all these different kinds of cheeses in it. He's also going to make the noodles himself. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. And then, like, then you make that macaroni and cheese. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's one of those. That's exactly one of those plates that I'm like, like, you bastard. Because that's the, <laughs> that's the food that I want to eat right now. I want it in my mouth as soon as I see it. And uh, you did say it was part of your clean plate club. So, uh, yeah, tell me about that. About macaroni and cheese in, in particular or just uh, blowing yeah, out? Yeah, you can. Food? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, for, first off, that's something that I've kind of uh, – the, the, the show, obviously – I'm so grateful for its for its success and for the fact that it's my job and the the fact that people still watch it. Like I'm endlessly, constantly grateful. But I've also kind of put myself in a couple corners in terms of like workload, where I still shoot and edit every episode myself. Like I do the whole thing front to back. Uh, wow. Which is why COVID didn't really slow me down because I just doing what I was doing anyway. Um, uh, even though the, you know, the world shut down because I'm just going into my kitchen and turning on the lights, turn on the cameras, bring the footage in here, edit it. Uh, so unfortunately that's sl- the, the fact that I still edit everything slows me down a lot. And the other big problem is that people have come to expect that I'm going to go ape shit with any given recipe. Right. So, you know, some day, some <laughs> weeks I'm like, God, I just want to make some lasagna and chill this week. Uh, <laughs> but you know, gotta gotta try to you know keep pushing the envelope, which I'm not complaining. But uh, sometimes I'm like a little shy on ideas and and energy to to figure out. You know, how do I make SpongeBob's peanut onion ketchup sundae? Uh, <laughs> really, truly gourmet. Yes. <laughs> which is what i'm doing next so oh really oh my, my god oh, wow. <laughs> so you're you're writing you're you're doing the recipes you're doing all the prep obviously the narration and the editing all yourself where are you getting your your recipes from are you culling them together from different uh cookbooks and um trying to figure it out all on your own or are you getting advice from chefs or anything like that how does that work 
Um, I've mostly been doing it myself. The way I figure out my recipes is just by investigating the context of the food in question in the movie, in the time, in the place. Uh, so um, for something, you know, if, we, if we're talking about Tarantino, uh, if, for something like the instant mac and cheese, I'm going on Doomsday Preppers websites and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, people who are making their own powdered cheese for the, for the long haul. Oh, after, my God. Your Google search history has to be crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm on some lists somewhere. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are too. Definitely. Yeah an agitator to some people i'm sure um and uh and then um conversely something like uh like the apple strudel from inglorious bastards that's taking place in world war ii france and paris specifically that's where they had the apple strudel and um uh, uh so you know it's a matter of looking at that time in history uh butter would have probably been almost non-existent, but we're talking about a very, very, very nice restaurant in Paris. So they probably have butter. Uh, and then how were these things made back then? Re- going and reading um, blogs where people post their, their Oma or their great Oma's recipe uh, mm. from Austria and whatnot. And, and just uh, trying to be as genuine to the source material as possible and make a recipe, make a dish that is as satisfying as possible to fans of, of the movie or TV show in question. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. That's the thing that I think separates uh, your your food show, which is obviously a really popular genre, um, uh, from from most of the ones that people see. I mean, uh, a lot of people go and they'll see, okay, well, here's here's the ingredients already prepared, and and uh, here's what we do. We put this in, and oh, here's one that's already finished for you, so that you can see it <laughs> and and everything. But on this one, you have you 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 may you you will do it that way. But then you'll go, well, how is this done? If you just if you couldn't go to a store or something, and you had to make this whole thing from scratch, and it's a fascinating process to see you go through all of those things, like making hot dogs. Like I would have never, ever thought about like, you could just do that at home, make your own hot dogs. I certainly don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you had some casualties, right? Did you lose your food processor? In the- oh, yeah, no food processor. Rest in peace. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it burnt out the motor because uh, the only way to really make true hot dogs at home is to make an emulsification of fat and, uh, water. Uh, that's how you get the really smooth texture, the snappy kind of, um, uh, uh, not the casing, the casing, the snappy casing comes from using pork casings, which is, I think, believe just intestine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, the only way to get that true hot dog texture is to emulsify ice into meats as it is being ground and blended. And you need some heavy machinery to do that. Your food <laughs> processor, just even though I got a good one, had a good one, it ain't going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you... I can't remember what it was called, but you had this one thing where you're like, this is completely unnecessary and the machine costs $2,000. And so why would anybody yeah, buy that? Most episodes and I'd probably say something like that. <laughs> and, and you said, why would anybody buy that? And then you're like, well, by the way, it arrives on Thursday. Oh, yeah. No, see, that's the biggest mistake I think I've ever made in my life. Oh, uh, really? I- no, no, not definitely not the biggest. The, 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 the most expensive mistake I've ever made in my life was buying that uh, home freeze dryer, mm-hmm. uh, which I have and I'm staring at right now angrily. 
Uh, <laughs> it's, it's about the size of a car. No, it's, it, it's, it's, how big is it? What would I compare it to? It's, it's like a small clothes dryer. It's oh. not, it's not small. Um, it's weighs, I think about 115 pounds. Jeez. Um, so it's, it's like very, very difficult to lift by oneself. Wouldn't recommend it. Team lift. And, uh, it's uh, is as about as loud as just running a high powered vacuum cleaner in your in the room. Wow. wow! And it takes a speedy twenty four hours to freeze dry anything. Oh Jesus! Uh, <laughs> so I just bought a house in Brooklyn, and um, I plan on getting some use out of it when I can put it in my basement and keep it away from other human beings with ears and, <laughs> and sanity to protect. Um, and uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, I bought that back when I literally ordered it when I when I did the uh, mac and cheese uh, episode. And when was that? When did that episode come out? Four months ago. That came out uh, in February, and uh, it has not seen one lick of use since. Oh <laughs> wow! No, no. I was just trying to think, like, what do you freeze dry? Like, what 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 is a common use That's, for freeze drying? Common use for freeze dry. Uh, it's. <laughs> It's uh, you can freeze dry damn near anything. You can't freeze dry things that are pure fat. Like you couldn't freeze dry butter. Um, mm. But uh, it, it's um, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, for the process of freeze drying is basically putting food in a vacuum. So that's that's one of the reasons it's so expensive. It, it is a vacuum chamber that also can reach temperatures of negative fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, damn. Uh, Jesus. And then it also like it's so tricky. I don't know whose fucking idea this was to freeze that food, <laughs> but like who is like okay? We put food in a vacuum chamber, we get it super cold, and we heat it a little bit. Uh, so it's, <laughs> every tray has a little heating element that heats up the food under vacuum in in way below freezing ch- temperatures, and that drives off damn near hundred percent of the moisture in the food, making it giving it an indefinite shelf life. If you uh, put it in, a, in, a, in an airtight container, you could open it in a hundred years and it could very well still be edible. Mm-hmm. Ooh, awesome. I'm going <laughs> to do that with my weed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, oh, no, that's, a, that's, that's if you want really dry weed. Just leave it yeah. out. <laughs> I was just going to say, I stocked up on, on weed before the whole um, COVID thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, first off, turns out I, first off it turns out I smoke a lot less weed than I thought. Oh, there you uh, go. <laughs> I bought like two ounces of I bought like two big freezer bags of weed, and I've maybe smoked I don't know two eighths uh, oh, wow. <laughs> worth, uh, and and it's all dry, and it was a huge waste of money. And anyway, go ahead. You went two eighths before you went one fourth. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> I, um, uh, <laughs> drug measurement kind of throws me for a loop there. I want to know if you have any white whales. If there's any movie or show food that you have wanted to make, but for one reason or another, you just haven't made it yet. Absolutely. Uh, I can point you to the one in particular. I, I, I commonly say that I'll do this one as my final episode. Because I'm hmm. probably going to want to retire afterwards. Um, uh, it's Reese's uh, turkey roasted inside a monkfish from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, oh my God. Lots, lots of requests for it. Uh, like one of the more requested episodes, I'd say. I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of comments 
uh, asking for it. And what it is is a whole turkey roasted inside of a whole monkfish and a whole monkfish, you know, they're like five feet long. They're they're like these prehistoric looking fish. They're huge. They're expensive. They're ugly. And I just know that I'm going to waste both this fish and the turkey. And it's going to feel awful that I'm wasting that volume of food. And also it's going to come out like really horrible. And it's, I don't even know where the fuck to buy a monkfish. Where does one go to buy a monkfish? Oh, well, they buy them on top chef sometimes, maybe whole foods. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, they, they right now they have the three sixty five branded monkfish. It's the, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so yeah, that that's my white whale. That's the one that I'll be doing as my very last episode, and then you'll never hear from me again. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> that was an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Like that just seems like such a random. You would think something famous like the the strudel from Inglorious Bastards or something, or the breakfast from Pulp Fiction, or something, you know, uh, the the gravy from Goodfellas. But like Malcolm in the Middle is just such an obscure like thing to come up with. I mean, and you know, I've already done all the ones that you've listed because they're doable and they're popular. There's no reason I wouldn't do those things. Yeah, um, yeah. this one is obscure, but like, there's a lot of really obscure stuff. Um, you know what I just did? It's an episode coming out uh, later next month, I think, uh, with Burger Show. You guys know Burger Show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so Alvin Kylon and I, we 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 do crossovers here and there. We did a remote episode. We filmed it last week, where we're requ- recreating something that w- probably one of the more hotly requested dishes in the history of the show is steamed hams from Simpsons. (laughs) I just said the word and listened to all of you. You're like, ah, well, this is a uh, bit from the Simpsons, a brilliant bit that is older than most of the people who love it. Mm -hmm. Like it came out when they were either fetuses or not quite in existence yet. And steamed hams was my online screen name for like, for like fantasy football and Chris can attest to this like 20 years ago before yeah. it got like meme popular. Now I can't even use that anymore without looking like a doofus. Mm-hmm. There, you, there you go. And like sometimes these really, I would call that obscure, even though it's the Simpsons, it's this old uh, uh, bit that was hilarious, but might've been lost to the sands of time. If it weren't for the meme um, sort of uh, uh, tidal wave that it yeah. created. And uh, now it's one of the more requested things, even though it's not really a dish even that I could feasibly recreate because <laughs> it's not actually steamed hams. It's just crusty burgers. He's just covering a lie that he <laughs> steamed clams. Yes. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's a great sketch. I don't know why people want to see me recreate it because it's there's nothing culinarily doable or interesting about it what we ended up doing was making steamed hamburgers which is a a specialty of a very small town in in uh, connecticut uh mm. so so we, we you know made steamed hams in that way um the best thing we could really do is pay tribute to it not really actually recreate the food right that's the is that the place that has them in, in individual like little plates yeah, and, little and things trays like that and they put yeah, in yeah, yeah. Special, i saw uh, that on guy Pierre. it's it's weird uh i don't understand the logic behind it and i can see why it didn't catch on mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting i actually saw uh watched an episode uh that you were on of the burger show where you went to the uh the guy that's basically Real like nuts. the museum yeah. right 
Yeah. And, uh, and got, uh, the, uh, and Jeremy will know this well, they did the, uh, what is it called? The lacy, um, uh, lacy, uh, uh, the, the, um, juicy, you called skin. it the, no, you called it the lacy Stacy. It's yeah. the lace, uh, burger common in, uh, 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 central Illinois. Jeremy, you know, the, this type where it goes over the bun and like it's crispy on the outside yep. and all that stuff. Yep. Yep. And that Big was one of those times I had like a crisp moment where I was like, I want that in my mouth right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. And, uh, uh, that, you know, George Motes is the preeminent burger scholar and he, they gave him his own show on uh, first we feast. Go check it out. Cause he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he, he did the, uh, the steam burger. There's a special steam cabinet that is made by the local peoples of this town in Connecticut. And, um, it, it's, it seems pretty pointless to me, but <laughs> they enjoy it. And I'm, I come from a town that, that's uh, champions something called the garbage plate. So I'm not in a position to talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Rochester, New York. And uh, a garbage plate is a it's the it's 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 a drunken dish. It's that's really all it's good for. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's a basically a plate with mac salad and French fries, two burgers, two hot dogs, cheese, and then covered in this stuff called hot sauce that isn't actually hot. It's just called hot sauce. It's basically. Uh, a meat sauce made from onions and grill scrapings, like all the <laughs> all the all the grill, like like the, the cheeseburger scraps that get. That, that sounds amazing. Off. It does sound amazing. amazing. It like, is. Awesome. Yeah, I've it's had awesome. it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I imagine yeah. so. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit talk uh, t- uh, Ted's or whatever it's called in in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> uh it does sound, it does sound way better than steamed hams though it does it very much does thank you um the um that you you were talking to us before we actually started recording that you ironically started to commute uh since covid uh started up and everything whereas before you were always at home what's the story behind that so um yeah, I as a result of making the show, I've been working from home for almost four years now. I started the show when I had a full time job. I quit the job after about seven months of making the show and have been working from home since. Um, right before COVID became the pandemic that it is, I put an offer in a, on a house in Brooklyn, um, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a townhouse and it's got two levels on the uh, in the basement that I'm going to be turning into my studio and my offices and all that stuff. We're trying to expand a little bit by, by moving into this place. And, uh, so I was very excited about it. Then, you know, the world economy started to collapse and all, you know? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so my, basically my, my banking guy was like, you know, if you're going to buy a house, you should do it right now. Uh, you should (laughs) pull your money out, get to ever spend every cent on a mortgage, just do it. Uh, because it's not safe anywhere else. And I was like, well, no, no, well you're the expert. And uh, so I, I, I bought the house. I'm living there now. I moved in uh, the end of April. And um, moved is a um, generous term. I, uh, I'm, I'm in my apartment in Soho right now, the place where I was living before. And everything's still here. My bed, uh, my couch, <laughs> my camera, gear, lights, everything. Uh, because I can't move out of my apartment my building won't let me until social distancing is lifted. Oh, and wow. 
I got a lot of shit here that I can't just walk down the stairs or use the the passenger elevator because I'm on the 12th floor and uh, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a freight elevator that opens directly into my apartment, which is like a godsend, but I'm not allowed to use it. So hmm. as a result, ironically, as everybody begins staying home uh, because of COVID, I became a daily commuter. Huh. Oh my um, God. From Brooklyn to, to Manhattan, which normally would be a nightmare. It is a 15 minute drive, fellas. There's no traffic <laughs> out there. <laughs> wow. So oh timing could be worse. Uh, it could be better. It's everything could be better. Uh, <laughs> But, um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very strange. I'm very safe about it. I, I'm still able to do it zero contact cause I got a, I got a car. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in this really weird netherworld where most of the world has been put on pause and not only am I commuting, I'm busier than I've ever been. I'm trying to put out more content with less help, uh, <laughs> yeah. than in the history of the show. I got no crew. I got no editorial support. Um, and, uh, I'll tell you, it's running me ragged a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Um, what would be the normal uh, commute uh, from your place in Brooklyn to Soho? Like, how would you, what would be the trains or what? Well, bl- uh, blessedly, I don't think I'm ever going to have to experience that. It would, it would be like two different trains. It would probably take from my house to where I live, to my, to my apartment. It'd be a solid 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how busy it is. And, uh, uh, happily I should be out of here by the end of July. I should be all set up in, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, in the new studio. So I, I shouldn't have to experience that hopefully. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's insane. I would have, I would have never guessed that was uh, something that someone had to actually bother with during this whole thing. <laughs> um, that's kind of crazy. Um, I do have one more question, uh, Chris, before we move on. It looks like you've been everywhere. You've done like the, uh, you know, the, the, the chef stuff with John Favreau, one of, I think our favorite movies, even though it's, it's, you know, paper thin in my opinion, as, as far as stakes or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, and, it's, and, it's, and such, it's such an easy movie. It's like, such an easy movie. I've watched it probably a dozen or more times. It's, it's uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of what to uh, compare it to. Um, Obviously, there's way fewer stakes than this than even Chef. Um, fuck, what is it called? Uh, it's on Netflix. It's this uh, retired Japanese guy who starts going around and just you're eating. Sushi? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> uh, Samurai Gourmet. Ah. <laughs> that is the best. If you guys are ever like hungover and you need something entirely without stakes, there's never tension. It's basically this retired guy in Japan, uh, I think in Kyoto. I can't remember where he is, but... Um, he retires from some office job and it's just him like comparing himself in his imagination to a wandering samurai of the, of, 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 of antiquity. And as he's going into these like restaurants and eating quote unquote, without restraint and, <laughs> uh, just his internal monologue as he's trying these dishes. And also the food photography is just pornographic it's resplendent um mm. i i really recommend it if you ever want to watch something where you're just watching an old guy eat and enjoy himself a lot that's yeah. beautiful that's beautiful yeah. speaking of japanese guys uh, one of the things that i saw <laughs> that you were you were able to do is is go to to meet morimoto which yes. must have been like kind of i don't know where you fall on the comic side of things or the chef side of things or, or, you know, acting side of things, you're kind of in the middle of all that stuff. But 
it seemed like that was a real like moment for you to meet that guy. It was extremely intimidating. Um, <laughs> he is the nicest guy unless you work for him and you're fucking up. <laughs> when he, he's very nice to all of his employees but there was one dude who was like clattering around a little bit too much and he went back there and he just grabbed it gr- grabbed the pan that he, the kid was working with and just banged down the countertop he's like you're making too much goddamn no like just <laughs> and, and then just came back over and was just like super chill again just turned it right off <laughs> uh, he he he's a super chill guy until he t- until he's tested and uh, then he's like whew, he's a force to be reckoned with i'm not entirely sure he knew what he was getting into that day with me <laughs> um i think that you know his social team thought that it'd be a great idea for him to come on the show and uh so i i, I think he was a little put off at first when he when he saw what we intended to do with his beautifully prepared expensive mm. uh, yeah totally fish. Uh, but then he, you know, he, you know, we explained the premise of what the show is and, and why this was funny in a cosmic sense. And, <laughs> and he, and he got into it and, uh, and, and he, we, we had a good time. It was a very cathartic, exciting, why the hell am I here? Uh, why, did, why does this man want anything to do with me kind of moment? I have a lot of those. That's awesome. Cause you are, I mean, it's amazing how much pop culture you must consume in order to 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 be able to recreate these things, especially faithfully, um, but but you also have so much work that goes into the preparation side of this and and the the, the execution of this too. Did you get like a, a formal uh, you know culinary training or anything like that? No, um, I <clears throat> I uh, uh, just always have been kind of a manic hobbyist. Just just would spend my evening hours just trying to get better. Um, I, uh, I, I always thought I was a great cook until I was about 24, uh, yeah, like 22, 23, uh, when I had a kind of a come Jesus moment when, um, uh, I had some friends over, uh, that I hadn't seen in a long time and they were staying in the city at my apartment. And, um, I was like, I'm gonna make you guys the hangover breakfast of your dreams. And they wake up the next morning, all bleary eyed and needing this, you know, they want the greasy spoon experience and they come out and I'm making, um, quail egg crostini with, uh, <laughs> shaved asparagus and truffle oil. Uh, and they, they choke, they choke one down and they and, and then they're like, is there a diner nearby? Uh, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> we, we go to the diner and we're having like chilaquiles and burritos and beers. And I'm like, this is the kind of food people want to eat, you know, good food. And that, <laughs> that, that isn't like, you know, trying to challenge them. I'm, I'm not smart enough and I don't have enough of a, a command of the craft to challenge people with my food. I need to just be good at making normal, just, um, uh, approachable food. And, uh, so that's when I sort of shifted my focus on like, just trying to make the best macaroni, macaroni and cheese I could, the best beef stew. Like, you know, that's way more impressive. I think, when you're a home cook to just like knock somebody's so- socks off with something that, you know, they think they think they have a clear idea of, or might be bored by. Um, so 
it's all just been a lot of practice. And a lot of people have asked me like, are you going to go to culinary school now? Cause you have the time and the resources. And I'm like, no, because I want to stay a home cook. I want to stay somebody who's learning right along with you, the audience. Like a lot of the time I'd say 80% of the time when you're seeing me make something on the show, I'm making it for the very first time. Damn. Uh, oh, wow. So if I'm screwing up, I'm showing you because I want you to avoid my pitfalls. Awesome. Yeah, that's a cool thing is when you go through uh, these things and you're like, you know, I really should have done this instead. And, you know, and then, you know, this would be better if we did it this way and whatever. And uh, it's always it's always like really cool. Like it's not just polished. You know, it's not a polished thing. And there's something uh, fun for that. It's fun, fun for that. Thank you. I mean, that, that's that's kind of like um, you were mentioning Food Network before. And I love Food Network. Uh, I uh, grew up, you know, learning from Alton Brown and and Michael Chiarello and and all the you know the 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 sort of first class of of um, great uh, uh, Food Network hosts. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but at the same time, most average TV cable cooking shows are showing a, an extremely polished product. Not only the production but also the makeup and the, the way the, f- the food comes out looking and the fact that we're in this person's perfectly appointed uh, New England uh, bungalow or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <they're doing>. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, I think that's intimidating as a home cook. I don't think that, that like they, they, I think they're trying to show, oh, it's easy. Look, look at how perfect this came out. But mm-hmm. it, it just comes off as intimidating. You got this, this perfect TV person. Showing yeah. me how to make something. <laughs> I in a garden, like basically like chops a cauliflower within, you know, 15 seconds and has it all yeah. perfectly prepared. And the mise en place is completely clean and everything. Too. One of the mm. things I have noticed, my wife likes to sit down Sunday and watch all the Sunday cooking shows on the Food Network. So I think, uh, I don't know who comes first, but there's a run of like Pioneer Woman and then. Uh, God, she creeps me out. Girl Meets Farm, uh, which is a cute show. Uh, but the Pioneer Woman is making new episodes during the pandemic with her kids filming. And she's making a lot of mistakes and like cussing and bleeping it out. And it's like this whole new side of her show that made me want to watch the show with my wife now because it's a, a lot more human. Exactly. I think that that I, th- I, I think that's uh, something people have discovered by the advent of YouTube uh, cooking shows is that, you know, the, the, just because you're on TV or just because you, you're on a cooking show doesn't mean that every time you touch something, it turns to gold. And every time you try to take on a recipe, it comes out perfect on the first try. Cooking is messy. Cooking is full of mistakes. I don't care who you are. I mean, unless you're, you know, like Grant Ashots or, or Dan Barber or something like that, uh, who, you know, you have a Michelin star to your name. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> everything you touch is coming out pretty good, but <laughs> most people it's, it's so encouraging to me to see, chefs that I admire make mistakes because it reminds you like, okay, it's okay to make mistakes. They're learning opportunities. Yeah. Are there any episodes that you're surprised, uh, took off, uh, as much as they did, or are there any that you were surprised didn't take off as, as much as they should? Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you I'm pulling up my list again because I can't remember my own work. Um, (laughs) yep. I thought that, uh, the fa- I, I figured that people would want to watch Buttered Noodles, which is a recent episode that I did, <laughs> because mm-hmm. they're like, why is there an eight-minute-long video on how to make buttered noodles? This is <laughs> going to be weird. Uh, but it's far and away one of the more successful. It's, it's accrued 
4.3 million views in three weeks. That's wow. that fantastic. Channel. Thank you. And, and that, that, that shocked me. Um, let's see. It's probably hard to find one because you've got, you've got a lot that are <laughs> yeah, no, that I, I, taken I would, off quite a bit. I would hate to complain about, <laughs> uh, about the channel's performance because not, no. I'm not going to, you're not going to catch me complaining. Um, but, uh, yeah. Also, you know, sometimes I will be very disappointed in the way videos perform, but they, if they have enough utility, they tend to just trickle in more viewership. Basics with Babish, uh, Sourdough, when I had Joshua Weissman on the show, it barely cracked a million views in its first week, which I know that that's a lot, but that's kind of the, the sort of... Um, uh, I, 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 that's, how, that's how I sort of judge a video's success is if it cracks a million views in the right. first week. And mm-hmm. it, it barely did, and uh, I was like, ah, oh, man, we put so much work into this. It's 25 minutes long. And, uh, it's a, st- and he flew all the way out to New York from, from Texas to shoot this with me. And, oh man, we got a stinker. And now I'm looking at it. It's got 3.7 million views because it has utility. If you want to learn how to make sourdough, this is a definitive guy. Especially in these days, right? Where everybody yeah, was <laughs> starting to do their, their bread making and all that stuff. Yeah. We were ahead of our time with that one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's one uh, one episode that I think you guys uh, uh, it may it may maybe my favorite one for a lot of different reasons, but I, I never saw that Simpsons episode where where they went to New Orleans. Uh, I don't know what season that is. Uh, there is a point, it's even a more though recent I, season, yeah, even though I had seen I had watched the Simpsons from its inception. I was one of the original Simpsons viewers. Uh, I got to about season no oh, maybe twenty. Cause I was a I'm very completist, but like I had, I, I was done. I was done after, after 20. Um, and, uh, and that, that episode, I had never seen it before. And I, and you went through the thing that they did. I didn't even know it was a play on the Simpsons, uh, at the very beginning of that episode. And I was like, this is very well done. This is really cool. And then you show it side by side later. And I was like, Oh, you were just imitating that the whole time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that that was a particularly wild experience because um, the uh, thing that we went through there, um, the, uh, the 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 fact that it was day two of our shoot, and we see that, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, it was actually day one of our shoot, and we had flown to New Orleans. I flew me and my friends and Brad and uh, you know the the crew, the the whole squad in New Orleans, and. Um, uh, we were, you know, trying to hit something like sixteen restaurants a day uh, <laughs> in the sweltering August heat. Like, or oh, I can't remember what, what month it was in, but it was so unbearably hot there. And the only way to really get around was walk uh, because all these restaurants were in such close proximity, and a lot of them were in the French Quarter, no parking, just you know. And as we're walking around, uh, one of us digs up that. Uh, these these uh these girls i can't remember their names because they're very um they're very nordic uh, i can't remember their <laughs> names right uh, but uh the, the, um the, they had just uploaded a video like days before we had gotten there uh of them doing the exact same thing and it was catching fire on reddit and it was getting put all over eater and 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 then entertainment weekly and we were like well shit well, what are we even doing here guys yeah we well fuck yeah <laughs> and uh, so we, we ended up just paying tribute to them and saying, congrats, you beat us to it. And it still worked out, but, uh, that was disheartening to be sure. 
I imagine so. <laughs> Could to go through all through this all this trouble to get to do this, and then you just see, oh yeah, uh, already did it, and it's uh, you know that's a that's a South Park thing. Uh, Simpsons did it, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's that, that had to have been. But you made the most of it. It's a great episode. Thank you. Um, it's a really fun one to watch, um, and 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 the fact that you guys give that that credit in there is is it makes it all the more endearing. Well, they, they certainly earned it because they did just as good a job without, uh, you know, a, a production staff and people, you know, keeping shit on track and, and, and carting us around and making sure that we were, you know, that it was just the two of them just rocking it. Um, and so my hat is very much off to those two. Kat- Katrine, I believe was one of their names. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in that episode that you had been to new Orleans, uh, many years before shooting a documentary. Uh, what was that all about? So uh, the three of us, me, Rashid and Sawyer, uh, we are all old, old friends since ninth grade. Um, Rashid, I lived with for a while while making the show. He was my roommate. And now I'm, I don't have a roommate no more. Uh, uh, my girlfriend was my roommate now, I guess. Right. Uh, 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 so we, we had all been friends for a long time. Then freshman year of college during the summer, uh, it was the summer after Katrina. We, you know, we wanted to do a trip somewhere, but we didn't want it to, I, I wanted to make a documentary cause I was a film student. I wanted to try to exercise my craft or whatever. It was so right? bad, so mm-hmm. bad, uh, <laughs> unwatchable 90 minute long documentary of just like back to back, just scenes like pointless, no storyline. Terrible. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like Amy Adams documentary in her where she's filming her mom sleeping. <laughs> but just us got houses and then interviewing the uh, a congressman and then interviewing a person on the street and then just fucking nonsense. But um, we, we I wanted to stretch my 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 I wanted to see if I could make something. Uh, they. Also, they wanted to do something good with their summers. So we went there and we, we gutted houses for the summer. And uh, uh, it was a transformative experience. I had never been to any place like New Orleans. And I don't think I ever have since. It's probably my favorite place. Uh, the people and the food and the culture and just the way it looks and feels. And the way mm-hmm. you feel when you're there. You feel welcome. Uh, it's, it's unlike any other place in the, in the world. You've obviously never been to Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spoken That's like correct. a true guy who's never been to fort wayne um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no that's true i've not been um and uh but yeah, yeah so that that's where that came from and then that uh video of us going there that was kind of our reunion video it was the first time the three of us had been back there uh in in going on 13 years oh wow all right guys it's time to talk about better help yeah it is better help's good stuff you know how good good this uh, this service is. My counselor. So it's it's summer, even though we're social distancing and all that stuff. People are taking vacations. People are taking you know trips to social distance in uh, different areas. Uh, my counselor was out uh, for a uh, a vacation. Told me plenty of time in advance and everything. Uh, but I'm also uh, out of town on vacation with the family and everything. And I absolutely. I'm so addicted to this service that I scheduled a therapy appointment <laughs> from from vacation. Awesome. And it's that's one of the unique and I, I make a little bit light of it, but 
it, it's one of the unique facets of BetterHelp in, in that I can do this remotely. I can do this. I can connect with my counselor uh, via whether it's video or whether it's chat. And I'm going to do a chat option for this, uh, whether it's phone or that kind of thing. I can actually do that uh, as needed. And, you know, I, I need it. <laughs> so uh, that's a, a feature that you don't find uh, with with standard therapy. Now, nothing wrong with standard therapy for for absolutely uh, many purposes. But BetterHelp has unique features um, that uh, that really, really do uh, make it something special, I think. And the platform itself is is great. Uh, and, and the way that they go about matching you with a with a counselor that that is. Uh, not only uh, licensed and fully trained, but also uh, specializes most of the time in the, in the stuff that you, you say that you want to work on. Uh, and it's just it's a tremendous uh, service and we can't recommend it enough. You know, I just want to hit on the same points that I know I know people pre pandemic uh, who were avoiding therapy for a number of legitimate reasons. They don't want to go out. Um, they have um, <clears throat> too far to travel. Um, they're much, much too private. They're not comfortable in some office talking about themselves and better help solves all of that just by giving you the ability to do it remotely. You can do it with text Mm -hmm. video. Uh, and it's just a really flexible service that has proven during the pandemic, um, to be, uh, more useful, uh, than even before. And I hope you'll check it out. Yeah. So go to betterhelp.com. That's better H E L P, uh, com slash syncast. And you get 10% off your first month. And that first month, man, make really good use of that uh, because that's really going to set the tone of, you know, how your therapeutic process goes. Uh, They do have a a, a feature to where if you don't, you don't vibe with your therapist or you feel like, you know, this is not the the type of person that can help shepherd me through my journey. uh, You can switch counselors um, until you find somebody that you're, you're, you're right for. Uh, and that's a nice that's a nice thing. There's no judgment or anything like that. No punishment or anything like that. So go to betterhelp.com slash sendcast. And baby, that's 10% off your first month. Do it if you feel like you need it. Go ahead and do it. Betterhelp.com slash sendcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do we want to get into the main part of the episode? Uh, Andrew, do you, uh, do you have time? Yeah, no, I, I can hang out a little bit. Yeah, okay, you want to great. do uh, a couple of uh, recommends? Uh, yeah. Totes amaze balls. There, great. It hey. won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. We'll throw out some recommends and warrants, and uh, why don't you go first? Actually. All right. Well, I mean, I'm a stand-up junkie. That's something that I haven't really. I mean, it's not like it's a secret. I don't know. It's just <laughs> I, I, I haven't really talked about just my my enduring love for stand-up. I think Ooh. it's one of the more underappreciated art forms. Like. I, I, obviously standup is having a big moment right now, largely in, in part to Netflix, I think, because it just gives any c- comedian with a following the opportunity to have a special, which used to be something that you'd have to wait for years and possibly never even get on comedy central or something like that. Um, but now, you know, there's specials for virtually every uh, standup comedian I can think of on Netflix. And um, <clears throat> I think it's, it's such an underappreciated art form to be able to go on stage and command an audience's attention, both as a storyteller and as a comedian, as somebody who, who can make them laugh, but also keep them 
engaged in what they're talking about. Like that is such a talent that I can't even imagine having the ability to do. And I have so much ad- admiration for it. And I love it. I love the, that somebody can get up on stage and talk. And that's enough to make me laugh harder than any other medium, any comedy movie, any whatever it's, 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 um, it's, it's very special to me. I love, I love standup. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's my rant about standup. Um, <laughs> And uh, my recommend is going to be a, uh, a stand-up comedian named Nate Bargatze. Mm. Uh, he is from Tennessee. Mm. Uh, so there you go. Um, he is basically this very kind of – he's got this very sleepy-eyed look and sound. He's very, very low-key. But he's one of the more – if you listen to his the flow of his jokes and the delivery of his jokes, he's one of the most talented – stand-up comedians working right now he has a command of his craft that uh is is unbelievable and he's got a bit at the end obviously i'm not going to be that guy who tries to do a stand-up bit uh, <laughs> not going to be that asshole uh but he's got a bit at the end of his um his most recent special the tennessee kid uh uh, uh that is it's about starbucks and it's about um getting a, a cup of milk with ice in it. That is, it just, it blows me away. <laughs> um, it's, it, I, it, I've never laughed so hard at stand up in my life. <laughs> um, so there's my rant slash recommend. That's yeah, amazing. Cool. He's from, he's from old Hickory, uh, yeah. uh, uh, right outside of Nashville. And he's my age. So I actually may have met this guy at some point. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to check this guy out. I know I've heard of that Tennessee kid. Um, is it on Netflix? Yeah, they pushed it on. It's an, it's on Netflix, and they pushed it on home pages a little while uh, when it came out. Um, and uh, I just watched it because sometimes you got to take a risk. Stand up, just it's sometimes yeah. you, it's gonna, <laughs> gonna be funny. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you do, you do. And, uh, he, he crushes it. Nice. Crushes it. Uh, I've got a follow up stand up actually. Uh, if you cool. guys don't mind, uh, it's the eight forty six uh, special that oh, Dave yeah. Chappelle just. That's did. all this. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. Um, uh, Andrew, have you seen this yet? I've seen it. It's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's gut wrenching. I've never seen him so angry. Mm-hmm. No, uh, like he gets angry in stand up sometimes. And I, I think that Dave Chappelle is the best stand up comedian maybe of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he, because he is effectively the best storyteller. He to is be a good stand up comedian. You have to be a good storyteller and he will, he will get, get you hook line and sinker with stories that are entirely made up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like the one about kicking somebody in the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a story he fabricated for a joke, but you are buying into it. And that is such a talent. Anyway, don't get me started. No, yes. it's, it's, it's absolutely great. I mean, there, some of his specials recently haven't been uh, my favorite, but there's some, like, he'll come out and say like, I'm such a good storyteller. Like I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you the punchline for this and I'll come back around to it and I'll get you I'll surprise you later on, but uh, even with those you know there was there was there was an anger there in those most recent specials on Netflix in particular that you didn't quite see in Chappelle Show and Chappelle Show it was more lighthearted I think there was still the same issues I think but it was treated with a a lighter touch. Uh, and these newer specials, even though he stuck his foot in his mouth with certain issues and everything, seemed like yeah. they had a rawer edge. Uh, this this special, which is on YouTube, it's weird. It's a, it, it's a Netflix channel on YouTube, 
Uh, and I think it's yeah, about 26 minutes or something like that. Um, but it's called 846, and the 846 uh, refers to the amount of time that the officer uh, was uh, was on the neck of George Floyd. And it, it will absolutely – you're not going to laugh, um, but, uh, you know, the fact that it was it was filmed after COVID, uh, the fact that it touches on all these current events, the fact that, that he goes through – history um of of the reasoning behind these protests is just absolutely fascinating and he tells it in such a way that you won't be able to take your eyes off of it uh for the entire length of it. it's it's unlike anything i've ever seen before hmm. yeah it's 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 almost like a a a speech more than a stand up yeah yeah uh, it, it, i i honestly cried when he was uh uh, when he truly peaked with his anger yeah. about George Floyd and, and explaining why it was called 846, I teared up because, uh, uh, you know, obviously this is such a horrible thing that has affected our nation so profoundly and to see him con- sort of contextualize it the way he did. It, it's very, it's very powerful. Yeah. I was just to be able to hold everybody's attention that they they're coming to hear what they think is a comedy show. And then he doesn't make it a comedy show at all. And usually that makes your audience turn on you, but you can feel the audience being like, well, gosh, he's just so good at this. He's, I mean, I don't have to laugh. I'm, I'm just wrapped in attention. That is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah. It's like they're in church. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there, you can hear a pen drop and it's funny every once in a while, it'll be like, you laughing yet? <laughs> like you yeah. kind of antagonize the audience, but uh, it, everything is hinged on the next word. Even the way that he holds a cigarette and doesn't light it, and you're like you're waiting for him to light it, but like that's just part of it. Like you're hen- you're hinging on every single word that he's saying, and when he does emote in a way that I don't think I've ever seen him emote before, um, at least non comedically. Uh, I'm like you, Andrew. I got teared up and I was like, man. And and he does it for a purpose. He says, this is the reason. It's it, you know, Imagine if this happened to you. And he tells the story about the police officer and that kind of thing. And he's like, you know, and now everybody's out there saying that police lives matter. Like, it, this is the justification for what we're seeing right now. How are you not understanding this? And it puts yeah. it in a way from his perspective, which is very unique, uh, that I think is... I, I mean, I hesitate to say, I think everybody should watch this. I think this oh, is absolutely. something that, and maybe that's why they put it on YouTube instead of behind the paywall, uh, that this, this should be appointment viewing, I think for everybody. Absolutely. And, and, and to, to speak to your, um, your point about him having become, uh, having gotten more of an edge in his, uh, standup since Chappelle's show, I think that's a number of things. Not only is he more in command of his craft, like he's so confident that he can go out there and explain what he's about to do and you still won't see it coming. Yeah. Uh, but also I think the fact that in every, in almost every special, he's like, fuck it. I'm Dave Chappelle. Like I can say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, I can mm-hmm. do this or I can whatever. And I think that he's, he's got that confidence that he, he has such a unique voice and perspective and, and has such unique things to say that he's not afraid to say them. And, 
I think that plays very much into what you're talking about. Yeah, you see the it's uh, it's almost uh, latter day Lenny Bruce esque, although Lenny Bruce couldn't couldn't keep people's attention because they were coming for a comedy show, but he yeah. would start getting into these rants about like the government and and court systems and all that, and and he wasn't able to be wasn't able to get people on board with what he was saying because and and yet he's able to somehow is some sort of art form that you know we'll have to i think we'll have to study that that 846 uh uh for a lot of reasons over Mm -hmm. the next few years just the how in the world is he able to pull off what is essentially a magic trick in that thing Mm -hmm. i mean I, i appreciate your guys uh uh love for stand up because uh, <laughs> I really even though it's having a moment right now I think stand up kind of ebbs and flows in in the in the public eye uh it had a big moment in the 90s and then it kind of went away now it's having a big moment I hope it doesn't go away because uh I'm hoping people are starting to see it I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick stand up tip um <clears throat> it's on Netflix from 2007 it's a two part special from Robert Wall called Assume the Position hmm. um and he goes into a college campus and basically deconstructs everything you've ever been taught about American history, about how Paul Revere was not only the first guy to make the ride, he was like the third guy to make the ride, but the history books don't teach you that because the guy who made the ride's name was Bissell and it didn't make as much sense and didn't rhyme like Paul Revere. It's like half comedy, half history lesson, rewriting everything you ever thought you knew about American history. And it's riveting. I love it. It's one of my favorite specials. He's, he's, he's great. Uh, the, the whole bit about uh, Yankee doodle and everything. Oh, you've seen it. You know, you know it. Oh yeah, no, I, I saw that when I think that first came out on HBO back yeah, in the day. Yeah, it did. Uh, and and yeah, no, I remember watching it when my right around when my my parents first got HBO, and thinking I shouldn't be watching this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, no, it's it's brilliant. It still holds true to this day. That's that's another sign of a of an, a, an amazing comedian is making timeless stand up. Like that's that's a rare thing. Yep. Hmm. He was probably in his like 14th season of Arliss at the time. That's what <laughs> Andrew, thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? What's what, what books do they need to get from you? <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you're not under any obligation to get any books. You are under show. obligation. After you listen to this, you must buy it. <laughs> that's, that's actually something I've been very careful about. You'll, you've never heard me say like, or subscribe in my videos. Mm. If you're going to do it, you do it of your own recognizance. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but uh, 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 my, my name is Andrew Ray. I make a show called Binging with Babish and Basics with Babish and Being with Babish. They're all shows on YouTube where I show you how to cook or other things. And uh, I recreate foods from movies and television. And I have two books out. The uh, first is called Eat What You Watch. It's kind of a coffee table book. And the other is called The Binging with Babish Cookbook. And it's the first hundred recipes from the show. Can you tell that I've said this a few times? Yes, it is. <laughs> I have good. heard this. I have heard this before. Um, I'll uh, recommend a movie called Fail Safe. Ooh. came out in 1964, directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, he, this movie came out in the same year that Dr. Strangelove came out. And that is important because they are about the same thing. Oh, wow. Uh, mm, mm. I've heard about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're about the same thing. Uh, and, uh, there were lawsuits about it even. And I even believe the same, I think it was Columbia pictures came out with both of these 
So I don't know who was suing who. I haven't read that whole uh, <laughs> one half of the company suing the other half of the company. Right. I mean, I think Kubrick was very, very adamant about getting his movie out first so that he wouldn't be the, you know, uh, that, that second movie that uh, deals with this. And so <laughs> Dr. Strangelove came out in January of that year. Uh, that's back in the days when January wasn't a garbage dump. You know, it was just another month. Um, and, and, uh, failsafe, I believe came out in the fall, like September or something like that. Um, but, uh, so it's about the same thing, except it's serious. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have the, 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 the comic timing of Peter Sellers and we don't have slim Pickens and all these people who are, who are characters in this whole thing. Uh, I mean, there are characters, but they're not like, you know, mugging for the camera or anything like that, but it's the same deal. There is a system in place for a, a bunch of pilots, uh, who are, who are flying around, uh, and, and basically like if there's any, any issue where they need to, uh, go to a safe place or whatever, they, they get a command, uh, from, uh, from some sort of, uh, you know, command center or whatever. And, uh, everything is being computerized. I mean, it's so funny looking at a movie from 1964 and they're talking about the problems of, of what might happen if you let a computer decide everything. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of those great things where they, they put in so many and, you know, it's, they put in so many fail safes in these whole things, uh, that there's no way of there's no way of overseeing uh, if the last resort is is failing or not because you you can keep on you know putting in fail safes but like it's it's always going to be there's always going to be an issue at some point like you can't have a perfect system of mm. checks and balances and everything huh. and while somebody is being uh, while a senator is being shown around in this uh, in this command center, it's like uh, one of the computers uh, has a has something go out, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's easy to replace, no big deal." And they put in this replacement for whatever this computer is running on. Uh, something happens where the command module, in response to this one thing flaming out sends a uh, code to the to to one of the uh, one of the uh, airplanes that says you need to bomb Moscow um, and <laughs> there are all sorts of different uh, you know protocols that they have to go through first it's the code and then it's the they go to their secret you know their safe and they open up the book and the book says this is what you do and they're like, I don't think this is, are, are they serious? Because this is, this is a last resort. This means Moscow has shot nuclear weapons towards us and has hit New York and has hit Los Angeles. And like, how in the world is this possible? Why would they even bother do Why would they do this? Because the big discussion here, as you may re- remember from Crimson Tide, is if you, if, if Russia shot nukes, then we'd shoot nukes and there would be nuclear winter. And life on Earth would not be able to exist mm-hmm. on the planet, and uh, so like it's it is actually with it is actually behooves the two nations not to ever get into nuclear war because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the idea seems absurd, but they have been told 
here's the code. You need to do this. And you need to also, because there's fail safes, you need to make sure that you cut off all your communications because somebody could imitate the president of the United States over a radio call. So they have fail safes that prevent you from actually uh, responding to a president calling you and saying, you need to stop. Don't do this. And they, this, this movie goes through a whole bunch of stuff where you are certain that you know where it's going to head, where it's going to go. Uh, especially if you've seen Dr. Strangelove, you remember in Strangelove, the, the, they, they end up making the order to shoot the one, uh, uh, airplane down. Uh, they shoot a lot of airplanes down actually in that one. The Americans are like, well, we might as well just go ahead and, uh, shoot down these planes and we'll avoid a bigger catastrophe from Mm -hmm. them attacking and everything, but they miss one. And that's the big deal with Dr. Strangelove. Um, and uh and you you're you're certain you know where this one's going but there are some moments in here where you're like okay all right this is what's this is how this is going to get resolved nope that's not how it gets resolved and then by the time they get to a really critical point the president has to make a decision that you will have your jaw will fucking drop hmm. and what this president Henry Fonda plays the president uh Walter Matthau's in this movie too um uh, there are a lot of other, I'm trying to remember who else is in this. Um, uh, but, uh, this movie is really, really fucking good. It is a great compliment to Dr. Strangelove. Uh, I watched these movies back to back. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Just to kind of see the, uh, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the similarities and everything, uh, how each, each movie decides to, uh, resolve its issues. Larry Hagman is in it too. Uh, pre I dream of genie and Dallas, Larry Hagman is in this playing a Russian, um, uh, translator for the mm. president. Um, but yes, your jaw will drop at what the president decides what they have to do. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, this movie is, yes, it's the, it's the, the more serious version of what you saw in Dr. Strangelove. It's not the more, it's not the most famous version, of what that is, but it's an 8.0 on the IMDb. It's well known, uh, uh, for a lot of people. I just had never seen it myself. So I, uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page for another reason. I'll tell you in a second. And I decided to scroll up and my jaw did drop when I saw what the president decided to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've mm. now spoiled the movie for myself. Uh, but also <laughs> it says that it was actually Kubrick and the author of the book, red alert that sued, uh, okay. because they were adapting red alert. Uh, Kubrick was, uh, and this other film, Failsafe, came along. Same studio. Kubrick was mad, told Columbia Pictures, my movie has to come first. And then he went uh, turned around and sued for copyright infringement, and they settled out of court. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So there you go. <clears throat> yeah, the, the, that Red Alert book was the thing that I couldn't remember on that. Um, and there is an interesting other thing, too. Uh, uh, I believe it's, uh, what is his name? Terry George? Uh, it's uh, Peter, uh, George. Peter George. Peter George is an uncredited writer on Failsafe, and he's a credited writer on Dr. Strangelove. Uh, you'll see a lot of some of the same discussions, only serious, in this movie that you see in Dr. Strangelove. A lot mm. of the same sort of little... Um, they, you know, in, in Strangelove, they, they make fun of the idea of the fact that 
if you think of something, the Russians are also trying to think of it and they're trying to make it better. So we need to make our stuff better. Um, the, the, uh, in strange love, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, gone into the ridiculousness with George C. Scott when he's talking about, he's like, uh, <laughs> when they're, when they're even talking about the fact that they're going to need a mine shaft to keep everybody, uh, prominent, still, still living while the, the nuclear winter, uh, dies down and, you know, to 10 females to every male and, and <laughs> all that. And then, and then George C. Scott is like, yeah, yeah, but, uh, well, what if, uh, what, what if the Russians out there thinking about that? And they're making, they're my, making their own mine shaft and they can make it where they can breathe more prodigiously than we do. And, uh, and, uh, he's like, he's like, Mr. President, we cannot allow a mine shaft gapped. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, That's uh, interesting. I don't know how this came up, but I, I had seen this before. This was remade as a TV movie in mm-hmm. 2000. Uh, and it was aired in black and white and it was George Clooney, uh, obviously before he became mega George Clooney, actually right in his, yeah, he, he was in me- he was mega George Clooney. At he point. was. Yeah. And it was Harvey Keitel, uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Noah Wiley and Stephen Frears directed it. Yeah. And oh, wow. I wonder, I mean, I, I really want to see this version that you were talking about chris but i kind of want to see this 2000 version too yeah same here i mean now yeah i I had forgotten because i was going through the research on this and i saw that it's got a 7.3 on the imdb so it must be pretty decent i mean the story itself is hard to fuck up you know i mean it's that's riveting no matter what you put that kind of scenario uh on into a movie but uh yeah i kind of want to see that other version too Hmm. Oh, man, Brian Dennehy, Sam Elliott, James Cromwell, Hank Azaria, Don Cheadle. Jeremy is definitely going to watch this version first. And oh, then yeah. Then he'll oh, watch the yeah. Sidney Lumet version. He'll be like, I kind of like that George Clooney version better. Oh, but yeah. Way, ironically, Richard Dreyfus is the president in oh, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My name is Bob Rumson, and I'm running for president. I don't know why I found that uh, interesting. Um, I'm going to recommend a show. All right. Um, This is a show on stars that I have now seen five episodes of called High Town. Okay. I believe Jonathan is watching this show. Um, uh, I'll have to talk to him about his thoughts because this is, this was very nearly a record warrant. Because the things about this show that are not great, are particularly not great. Um, But ultimately, um, what sells it is the lead performance, and the actress's name is Monica Raymond. She was apparently on uh, one of those Chicago shows about (laughs) rescue people and Mm -hmm. uh, medical bullshit. I'm looking, hang on. Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, she's been on all of them, apparently. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> because I think they've had, like, uh, crossovers too, so, like, yeah. who knows which one she's actually on. I don't think even they know uh, um, which one they've been on. So, Hightown is set in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and it's basically sort of the Cape Cod version of The Wire, where we're following some criminals and we're following some cops. Um it's nowhere near as good as The Wire, by the way. Uh, but she is outstanding. Um, Monica Raymond is her name. She's playing the main character uh, who's got all kinds of addictions and demons. In the first episode, she ends up in a car crash and has to go to like rehab. Uh, but she's a cop. 
And she's also looking for this uh, witness to a murder that she thinks is alive. And the story's all intertwined. And uh, we've got, who's the other guy in here that you know? Um, it's uh, James Badge Dale is probably uh, a guy you've seen hmm. before. If his name doesn't ring a bell. Well, yeah. And it looks like, uh, I know I know James Badge Dale is because he's one of those... Uh, He's one of those guys I always confuse with somebody. One, I can't remember who I confuse him with. He might be another one of these Jai Courtney's or whatever. But, um, but uh, Amari Nalasco from Prison Break is in this as well. The, yes, um, that's another guy that I that I recognize. Yes, um, and so the you know there are there are some stuff there are some scenes that are kind of expected and cliche. There's lots of sex and nudity um, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> The uh, the writing's pretty good. You can tell there's a greater uh, overall thing. Uh, and I'm hooked enough by the sheer power of her performance. Uh, I'd never seen her in anything. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a little, some cliches here and there. It might end up a warn by the end of the season. But through five episodes, I would recommend. And I'm going to keep watching it through the end. And, uh, yeah, there you go. That's all I have to say about that. What yeah. is it? High Town? <laughs> High Town, all one word. Um, it's, uh, from, it's created by Rebecca Perry Cutter. And from what I can tell, she was a, a writer on the mentalist and mm. on Gotham. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think it's going to continue on a good trajectory. Um, there's some cliches, there's some cop cliches and whatnot. Um, <laughs> and I actually whatnot. Was a, there was a line, the one character actually said out loud in dialogue, don't at me, man. Uh, and it, it pulled me right out of the episode. Uh, but there's enough good and interesting here that uh, I'm hooked. I'm going to keep watching. So there's your recommend, almost a record warn from Jeremy. Cool. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna do a quick recommend because you guys have a bunch. Um, this is actually timely because this holiday, as of this posting, uh, has just happened last Friday. Um, and hopefully we will have had or will have for you an interview with this director uh, it's a it's a movie called Miss Juneteenth, and uh, mm-hmm. it's if you don't know about uh, Juneteenth, it's been in the news fairly recently because uh, uh, the president uh, wanted to do a rally, um, I believe, in Texas uh, on the day of it was in Tulsa. In Tulsa, yeah, Tulsa on the the day of uh, Juneteenth. Juneteenth uh, being the day that they they marked as a holiday in Texas uh, because. Uh, it's when two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the slaves in Texas were told that they were free. Having Before that, they had not been told uh, and it had not been official policy uh, to release them. Uh, so obviously it was a, it's a special day for Texans, especially black Texans. Um, and that coming up in the, in the news uh, recently was interesting because we did see this movie um, directed by Channing Godfrey Peoples, uh, who we hopefully we'll be talking to. It is it, 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 it moved me. It really did move me. It's about a working class African-American single mom, single mom in the, in the sense that she's uh, separated from her husband um, and the father of her daughter. She's a former beauty pageant winner, uh, Miss Juneteenth, and uh, she wants the same for her daughter. So she's entering her daughter into this uh, this uh, pageant, and her daughter is a very more precocious and rebellious version of her uh, her mother, 
and she's kind of complying, but also doing it in her own way. So uh, the, the story, that's really the crux of the story is the relationship between the, the mother and the daughter. Uh, but all the other supporting players are fantastic in this. She's working two jobs. Uh, she's barely scraping by, but she wants this better life for her daughter. And it's the, the, the lead actress, Nicole, I think it's Nicole Bahari, mm-hmm. uh, turns in what I, I with no joke, would say is an Oscar-worthy performance. Yeah. Uh, she, she's absolutely magnetic in this movie and centers it. You could, you could totally buy that she was a, a former beauty queen. <laughs> yep. And you could totally buy that she's fallen into this, this situation uh, where she has to do the best that she can. And it's absolutely fantastic. I would totally recommend it. It's on all the streaming digital, well, not streaming, all the digital platforms, VOD and all that stuff. Miss Juneteenth, it's very, very good. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is actually very good. The uh, The Juneteenth holiday, I, I, I need to know more about it because, uh, you know, the the it, it surrounds the fact that a general from the Union Army came and a proclama- you know, said, here, this is you're all free and and everything. And I'm wondering if it's mainly because they had just never heard of the Emancipation Proclamation there or if it was because Texas was just so far away that they weren't able to get the, you know, um, they weren't able to enforce it. Uh, uh, if you if you know your history, you'll know that the Emancipation Proclamation didn't just end slavery like it. It uh, it it only was after the once the uh, Union armies would come in and uh, and liberate uh, a state that that actually yeah. came came through. Also, the fucked up thing about it is that as a political uh, uh, sort of move, it didn't it did not include the four Union states that were still owning slaves. Uh, it didn't know uh, it didn't uh, include Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, and Delaware of all states who mm. still own slaves. It was very um, uh, targeted towards the southern states, uh, and so there was a polit- some political maneuvering going on in the Emancipation Proclamation, and uh, you know they had to uh, only when states were liberated could they actually free them. Uh, so, uh, it, it, it's interesting. I need to know more about Juneteenth itself because, uh, you know, it, it seems like, it seemed like to me that that was something that was happening throughout the civil war was that, uh, you know, they had to liberate a state first before they could get, uh, give that announcement to anybody mm. and everything. So that's something that I'm, I'm if we, if we talk, um, to her, I'm hoping to uh, discuss a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. a great movie. Um, uh, I have a warn. Uh, Jonathan and I are going to mini pod this, and and I've decided I'm just going to go ahead and and talk about some of these movies because I see so many other movies for other reasons, <laughs> and I never get a chance to really uh, include them in my recommends and warns. And so um, I'm going to warn one of these when we're going to mini pod this. So you're you're already. Um, uh, you already know what we think about this, what I think about this anyway, but Artemis Fowl came out oh. on Ooh. Disney plus and um, it's, I guess, based on some book that everybody likes. And um, 
and uh and uh and i and you know this is non-spoiler um i think disney just gets in their way sometimes gets in their own way they can't seem to make a movie without it being trademark disney and i believe this is the same sort of thing that happens with the marvel movies and marvel movies have somebody shepherding that whole thing and 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 they basically turn out okay but there's also a branding issue that makes it where other directors who want to come in and make their own thing are are uh stifled you know they're stifled from doing that mm-hmm. and you sit there and you watch a movie like artemis fowl which is directed by kenneth fucking brana <laughs> friend of the show friend of the show um, and you're just like, what is there about this movie that is Kenneth Branagh? Uniquely Kenneth Branagh. Why did you need him to direct this movie? I think you could have gotten anybody who could just take orders, uh, to make this movie. Um, it, it, there's just, I think from the very beginning, we don't know who Artemis Fowl really is really. Uh, and before you even, before you can even kind of get to know him, the the action starts and the action is almost pretty much all in one place oh. um and uh and and it feels like a movie that should sprawl over the entire world and in a way it kind of does i guess but not like in the way that you think and it's uh it's just a it the movie is just too disneyfied it's too uh there's not any meat there uh it doesn't it doesn't uh it's not dis- it doesn't distinguish itself from any other you know uh magic uh fantasy movie that you've ever seen it doesn't distinguish itself at all um and and i, I don't understand really why they needed why they felt the need to make this movie and make it in this way um because it just feels like they made it so that it would fit on Disney Plus with everything else. I know this was supposed to be a theatrical release, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like it, it mm. like once it got out of theaters, it would go to Disney Plus and it would just blend in with all the other things that they they offer. Uh, they they just can't get out of their own way sometimes, man. And it's uh, that movie was just it's just bad, bad movie. <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> I had negative interest going into this, uh, even though I've got Disney Plus and it's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I- I'm glad you warned me off because, like, that probably would have accidentally happened. Like, we'll throw something on for the kid, but no, no. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, your kid might like it. I, 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 I would, I would, you know, go somewhere else into another room. <laughs> And drink, and drink rum while he while he <laughs> all right i have a prescription <laughs> yes oh boy all right um i would like to i'm gonna do a twofer i'm gonna double dip real quick um i watched a movie called ophelia with daisy ridley mm. um this is essentially a non-comedic Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Hmm. It's the Hamlet story as you know it from Ophelia's perspective. Huh. Um, and Interesting. About the best or worst thing I could say about this movie is that it's totally fine. Uh, okay. I don't think anyone has ever finished that movie and said, thank God I watched that shit. I'm really happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty boring. Uh, the movie I really want to warn hard is a movie from 2019 called Miss Bala. Okay. Oh, I heard about this. This is 
kind of exploitedy. Is that a word? Uh, it is now. It's like <laughs> one of these movies that wants to. It feels like it's trying to be a very pro woman movie because the woman is the hero and eventually she kicks a little ass. But the movie puts her through so much shit that feels gratuitous. Mm. Um, this is a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, this is about a girl who is American visiting in Tijuana, a friend of hers who's from Tijuana. They go to a club and a bunch of criminals come in and kidnap her friend and shoot up the place. Um, so Gloria, that's her, her name. And this is uh, Gina Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, she's a fine actress. Um, Anthony Mackie was like the only other person in this movie I recognized. Um, so she goes to the cops. Uh, my friend got kidnapped. Well, the cops are dirty. So they take her right <laughs> back to the people that kidnapped her friend. Uh, and they basically make her a, a, a hostage slave. And they make her help them blow up a building without telling her that's what's going to happen. Uh, they make her drive a car across the border with a bunch of drugs on, in it and not tell her she has to return with a bunch of guns. Uh, at one point, she sneaks away and finds a DEA agent. And, you know, he's not dirty, but he's not a nice guy. Um, and so he wants to use her to get the cartel. And so he doesn't really pull her out. He sends her back in. <clears throat> and uh, there ends up being the shootout between the DEA and the cartel guys. And they're all shooting each other. And she freaks out. So she runs over to the edge of the wall because they're in like some kind of, I don't know, a bull ring or something. I didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> um, and uh, the head cartel guy who kidnapped her sees her helpless and crying and runs to save her and gets shot by the DEA in the process. And it, it bonds them together, as would happen in mm -hmm. real life. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, let's just say... There's some more bullshit she has to go through. She's constantly under threat of death or rape. And in the end, she shoots the bad guy. Hooray. Um, this feels like a Luke Besson movie mm. um, <laughs> yeah. in every way. But this is a Catherine Hardwick movie. Yeah. And I was shocked when I, I didn't even know that until I was doing show prep. Like I watched the movie, hated it was ready to talk about it and went to look it up last night. And I was like, holy shit, Catherine Hardwick's good. How did this happen? What um, has she done before? Well, she's done Twilight, but she also did 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she did, yeah, the Nativity Story, uh, Lords of Dogtown and, and 13 were really, you know, my point yeah. is she... I have, I was surprised to see her name attached to it. Um, but it was not good. I would not recommend it. Um run the other direction, even if you have to watch Ophelia. <laughs> it also looks like uh, that Thomas Decker kid who was in his kid. Oh, yeah. He's uh, in, he, who famously was in Seinfeld as the kid that uh, the the uh, they had to use the heighteners for to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to uh, double for him or whatever. He's like, that kid's growing like a weed or whatever. Um, Thomas Decker, who was in that movie Kaboom that Barrett and I saw. Yeah, uh, yeah it's wild. All right, we'd like to thank Andrew Ray for showing up again uh, to yeah. our show. He was awesome. Uh, one day we'll actually see him face-to-face. -face. We just talked to a total stranger. Uh, but um, what did you think? Go to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, 
music video since Twitter. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. And if you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and find the link on the right side. Or you can go to the private messages on Facebook. And I will give you a link from there. Uh, but that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. I can uh, reciprocate uh, that uh, that sentiment. Yes, um, but do absolutely. you do you own his cookbook like I do? Huh? Uh, huh? I'm I'm a terrible terrible who's, person. Who's the biggest well, fan in the room? Just huh? egg upon <laughs> this your guy. Face, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, my, my, I, I'm sitting here saying, "Man, I watch all your videos, and I don't have the book." I tell you what, though. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, though. Even if I did have the book. Uh, there's probably no way I would make some of the stuff that you make on these things. Uh, I wouldn't blame you. I actually, Publishers Weekly was um, said uh, this is one of the few cookbooks that tells you when its recipes are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Don't do uh, this. Uh, you look perfect to me, both okay. inside and out as a person, mm-hmm. right? and. Mm-hmm. As a waveform, you yes. look you look perfect. Yes. Yes. So far, this has been the most affirming podcast I've ever. <laughs> it, is. it is. I'm sure you get, much like Darius Rucker with Hootie and the Blowfish, everybody calls him Hootie. I'm sure you get Babish. Uh, I mean, the, the number of times I've been uh, compared to Darius Rutger, was that his name? Is the, if, I could, <laughs> if, I, if I had a nickel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. absolutely. <laughs> Are you so crazy? Yeah, I mean, you can't go down the street without people pointing. <laughs> hey, that's Hootie. Yeah, exactly. Even Later even Key, even even Key and Peel do that too, and they made a whole thing about that. Uh, do you do we want to go ahead and get right into the episode then? Uh, yeah. Let me take my clothes off first, since we've got. Uh, right, we don't have any visual. Yeah, things. since we're not on Google Meet, you can let me yeah, put my can... clothes on. My, okay, right, right. Almost got the. I will. Got... I will do a, a half thing. I'll go bottomless. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm taking off my hat. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. If it's gonna be one half, go <laughs> I repeat, the suspect is hatless. Like that scout yes. Do you remember the uh what is it uh, the second Harold and Kumar uh movie where they uh the dude has the bottomless party? Do you remember this? It's the <laughs> no, Guantanamo Bay. I don't. I, I don't. have that movie memorized and I can't remember that. He has the bottomless oh, party. And so Harold and Kumar walk in and maybe the Christmas one. Mm. Uh but anyway, they walk into this party that uh I think the David Crumholds character is having. And uh, he's got every like all these beautiful women. They're all bottomless, and they've all got their their bikini tops on and everything. And uh, he's in a hot tub, and he's talking to Harold and Kumar. And this girl gets in and starts to take off her top, and he's like, "Don't you fucking do that! Keep that top on. This is a bottomless party only." And she's like, "I'm so sorry." <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking out of my depth here. I know a lot of uh, very obscure trivia about a very few movies. Mostly short circuit. Um, yeah, of course, of course. If you're going to know a lot of obscure trivia, short circuit is a good one. 
to show off. I'm also here to be your your. Um, if you guys need a a, a Fraser, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A um, devotee? A uh, what's the, the hell is the word? A preacher? What what's the word I'm looking for here? A um, evangelist a guru. If you need, yes, thank you. If you need a Fraser evangelist, yeah. oh, my you know friend. what? Sorry, sorry, oh. but uh, Jeremy <laughs> is that person. <laughs> we. Oh, yeah, Sounds no, like we get ourselves a Fraser off. Honestly, I have no idea. <clears throat> honestly, you and Jeremy sound like you would get along very well because the very babish name comes from the West Wing, and I know that Jeremy is a big West Wing person. So, is that where you got that name? Yes, sir. <clears throat> oh, I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah, White my House wife Council, is actually Oliver Babish. Yeah, my wife is currently binging West Wing. She's on like oh, season three dog. right now, and uh, she's never seen it, but she's loving it. So I like I to be an evangelist for that show, too. Well, please tell her welcome to Flavor Country from me. <laughs> <laughs> who played the Who played the character? The, oh, the Oliver Babish. Platt. Yeah, Oliver Platt. Oliver, right. yeah, yeah. Oliver, Platt. Mm-hmm. Oliver um, Babish, Oliver Platt. Yeah, he doesn't like to have to be referred to by a different name if he can help it. He likes to play Oliver as, as much as possible. It's like how uh, Jack Nicholson always plays characters named Jack. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> have you guys seen that new Bill and Ted trailer? I have. What What's yeah. the deal with his face? Yeah, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> his face looks weird. Uh, well, the whole thing looks weird, but like his face yeah. looks weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, hey, that's from, that's, uh, that's from um, Red Letter Media. Uh, the the guy, the, when he, I think it was during his Star Wars reviews, he would always he'd always find a way to fit in a "What's wrong with your face?" <laughs> <laughs> we have a gift. Mm-hmm. Some sort of gift. I think yeah. it's, I think it might have something to do with you guys being awesome. Uh, I'm pretty sure it has to do with me being awesome. Yeah, I mean yeah. you being I think, awesome. I think it's Jeremy being awesome. Let's yeah. just let's just go ahead and, and <laughs> stop it, it right it there. It, the buck stops <laughs> there. Uh, I got to tell you, Andrew, we are normally much more professional than this and much more prepared than this. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to tell you, normally I'm much less professional. So I was about to go. say, I was about to go. say, speak for yourself, Barrett. <laughs> <laughs>